Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Dr. Sarah, and she has three birth stories to share with us. So do you just want to start us off with a little bit of an introduction? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, by the way. Yes. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. So uh, I'm Dr. Sarah Leahy. I'm a chiropractor and birth educator, and I have a master's in nutrition. Um, I've had three births, and that has really brought me into this whole the birth world and learning the ins and outs of what happens in hospital versus home. And my births have been very different, uh, which has taught me a lot. And uh, so should I just start telling you my stories? Yeah, yeah, you start wherever you wanna begin. Let's just do that. So as a chiropractor, first of all, um, if anyone who's listening has been to a chiropractor, chiropractic tends to be a profession that believes that your body can heal itself with if given the right situation the right help so sometimes you might need to go see a chiropractor maybe you need to change your nutrition or change your sleep habits but that you know you get a cut and your body heals itself if it's given the right things it doesn't get infected it's taken care of and um your body is that way with lots of other things too and so when i got pregnant for the first time i was first of all, very confident that I would get pregnant easily uh, because I took really good care of myself and I exercised and knew a lot about nutrition and had, you know, no health issues. And I did, I got pregnant pretty quickly once we decided to get pregnant after we were married and that pregnancy, actually, I was going to have a home birth and I ended up having a missed miscarriage. So at about 10 weeks, I started spotting and then ended up deciding to go see my OBGYN. Well, she was really my gynecologist because she wasn't my OB for this pregnancy, but see my my gynecologist who prescribed me uh, Cytotec, which is uh, a medication sometimes they use to induce labor. And that's basically what it did. Um, it's actually an off-label usage. It's for ulcers, but it, and she told me that, um, but I decided to take it to help move the miscarriage along because it was, it had been by then, I guess the, the baby stopped developing maybe around seven weeks. So it'd been in there a while and it just didn't sit right with me to continue that any longer. My body was already starting to miscarry. So I was like, I wanted to help it along. And so the process was, you know, not fun. It really, it was like labor. I, I had contractions and then everything came out and it was very sad. And so I wanted to get pregnant again. And so pretty soon after we started trying again, but I had a hard time getting pregnant the second time. Uh, so I, I stayed with the OBGYNs that I had and ended up doing intrauterine insemination. And I went through two cycles of that and got pregnant with my first son, who is now five. Because I had started down that road and I went to them for all of that the IUI care I just stayed with them because they had seen me through all of that um, and I really did like them they were very nice people um, and I think they were very caring and they were good listeners but for me in the end it really didn't matter how how nice they were as people um, because of the system that they worked in and what that meant for my birth so I trusted them. I was a little bit more, I was kind of worried through that pregnancy, I would say, because now I had lost one. I didn't want to lose this one. And so I kind of trusted them, did a little more testing than maybe I needed. And then when it came time for me to give birth, I chose, even though I knew that I shouldn't go to the hospital, I, I literally had this voice in the back of my head saying, you'll have a C-section if you go. But I was like, oh, but the... The hospital is only five minutes away <laughs> and my insurance covers everything. And at that time we had just opened our practice and money was a huge factor. And I felt sort of selfish deciding to take savings we had 
and put it towards a home birth when I knew I could be at this hospital right down the street was a good hospital um, and my providers were there. But I went anyway, against my better judgment. And there was no real reason for my C-section at all. It was really just one thing led to, I just took too long. You know, I showed up and after so much time, they would suggest something and I'd say no. And I, they'd suggest it again and I'd say no. And maybe the third or fourth time I'd say fine because I just wanted them to stop. And one thing led to another, led to another. And then I had just been pushing too long, too long is in air quotes. And it had just been a while and I agreed to surgery at that point. And there was no, the baby wasn't in distress. I wasn't in distress. And so I had surgery and, you know, right away felt kind of disconnected from my baby. We stayed there for five days because they had some weird rule about if you come in after eight o'clock on a certain day, you have to stay an extra day. So I was there for a really long time. So it was weird for me when I left because they, you know, there's someone coming in and out constantly, uh, checking on you as you're trying to sleep, taking your blood pressure, making go to the bathroom, giving you medication if you need it. And then all of a sudden they just kick you out. <laughs> and then you're, you go home and you're like, great, now what do I do? You know, someone was, I could just order food any time of the day. And now I have to make my own food and take care of this baby. And so I went home and my husband, because I was out for so, so long at the hospital there, uh, and we have our own practice, he had to go back to work. So I had no help and no one, no one home with me because he had to go back to work maybe a day after I got home from the hospital. And, you know, I had surgery and it's hard to sit up and I'm learning to breastfeed. And uh, our son was very, he had to be on me all the time. This, this son, he's still like this. <laughs> he's, <not> like this <laughs> he's just always needed attention, always needed to be with you. Wouldn't sleep unless you were holding him. Um, just very, just a lot of work, you know, which babies always are. Um, but of my three, I will say he was definitely the most work and cried the most. And so it was, I was just so tired. And then I started to realize that I was depressed and had PTSD from uh, the birth because I would see stories of other women I knew having, having the birth that I wanted. And it would just flash me back to what happened to me and make me question every choice I made and make me really upset. And, you know, I have dreams about it and I had anxiety, a lot of anxiety. And I lived like that for probably two years. Um, and in the interim got pregnant again, when my first son was about 16 months old, I think. And I knew right after that surgery that I needed to have another baby. That was my first thought was I need to have another baby and it needs to not be like this. Basically to rectify what had happened to me. And so the second time I decided, I, I initially went to an OBGYN down the street just to have a blood test to confirm the pregnancy, which now in hindsight, I know I did not need. But anyway, I went there to start off and then went to, um, decided to hire a home birth midwife. I had one appointment with her, I believe. And then she went on vacation without telling me to another country and didn't give me a backup provider or anything. And just the way she treated me just didn't sit well with me. Like I was kind of an afterthought. She had forgotten about me, really. She actually said that. She forgot to tell me. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah. I think she's a good person and probably a good midwife when it comes down to the time, but she was newer to having her own practice. And I think the business portion just maybe wasn't there yet. So what she actually said to me was I got in touch with her. We we're having trouble. I was going to have a, my 20 week ultrasound, the anatomy scan. And there was only one place near me that she, she kept trying to make me appointments at these different places to have, have the ultrasound done. And none of them took my insurance. Every single time she would, she's like, oh, I jumped through all these hoops to get you this appointment. But I'd call and be like, do you take this insurance to be my first question? And they're like, no. 
And that the anatomy scan is a really expensive ultrasound because it's you know, more in depth and a different machine is required. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll find this myself. So I found a place and there was only one place nearby. And I was worried that I was already like 17 or 18 weeks. She said, I needed it by 20 weeks. And I, I don't know how booked up this place is. So I got in touch with her. I said, I finally found a place. Here's the number. And she said, I'm on vacation. I'll do, I'll do it when I get back. And I was like, I don't know how booked up this place is. I really think you, could you do it now? She's like, I'm, I'm not in the country. And had I been somebody else who didn't also have patients, like, you know, I was, I was her, her client, her patient who saw patients at, you know, I saw patients for years and years at our office before I stayed home with my first son. And to me, I just couldn't imagine treating somebody that way, knowing that they're home and they're worried about not getting in. And this is giving them anxiety to be able to just enjoy my vacation without like, like, could you just make a phone call or, you know, go to Kinko's and fax them something like, I don't know where you are, but couldn't you do that? Wouldn't you're going to be able to just sit by the pool and not worry about this? Cause I would feel like I had to go take a couple hours out of my day and figure that out for you. So I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to have to fire this lady. And so, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to fire her. I'm not having another baby in a hospital. It's not happening. I wasn't able to really find anybody else in my area at the time. And I said out loud, what do I have to do? Deliver this baby myself? And it was like in a cartoon where that light bulb goes off over, (laughs) over your head. And I was like, wait a minute, why couldn't I? And so I started looking up, you know, do women have babies by themselves and started to learn about free birth or unassisted birth. And um, that, yeah, it is a choice some women do make. And so I decided that's what I would do. And I learned everything I could about all of the things that could happen that I might need to, that I might encounter, that I might need to do something about with me, with the baby, and found out truly how common those things are, and which is not very, and found out what I would need to do and had a backup plan where, you know, a couple blocks from the ambulance and 10 minutes from a hospital. So I was not worried about needing emergency help, but if I did, you know, it was, it was nearby and was very confident my choice to stay home and was the best choice I I could have made in hindsight. Um, I did continue. I went back to the OB that I started with and I continued with my OB care just to have something on paper because I knew I would be birthing at home without an attendant. And I didn't want to raise any more red flags than I had to. So I decided to have some, you know, paperwork behind me that I I was seeing someone for that, that pregnancy. And so I stayed with my OB care. And then I think I was about uh, 36 weeks, maybe. Uh, we had a refrigerator guy coming <laughs> to repair our leaking refrigerator. It just happened to be on that, that week's appointment. And so I had to call and cancel and, you know, pro- probably reschedule. And I was like, you know what? Why? Why would I reschedule this? Because I'm not going to, these people aren't going to attend my birth. And the closer we get to my due date, the more harassment I'm going to get to do things that I'm not going to agree to. That's what I was just going to say is it's usually at that point that you start hearing like, well, we might have to look at scheduling your C-section for 41 weeks if you don't go into labor and yada, yada, yada. Right. Right. And so I knew that or induction or whatever it was going to be. And so I decided, you know what? Like, I'm not going to agree to any of that. I'm actually going to fight with people. I will fight you. And so (laughs) why put myself through that? You know, I want, I'm not going to agree with you. We don't have the same opinion on this. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to stay home. Um, So I'm just not going to make another appointment. And was the best choice I could have made because then I just got to be home. You know, I had a fetoscope, so I would listen to the baby's heartbeat. I was paying close attention to if there was anything, you know, any swelling or anything I needed help with and everything was fine. And I went into labor when I went into labor and I didn't once during my labor, worry about anything. I just went with it and the baby was born 
and that was it. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, it was a lot. That's a simplified version of a, a lot more work. I'm sure everyone knows, but it was exactly what I needed because it really proved to me that what happened to me the first time, it wasn't me. It didn't need to happen. It wasn't me. Everything I went through the last, you know, two years prior to that, um, that second birth didn't have to happen. It didn't have to be that way. And it was like, I, I switched a light back on, or I, you know, I did a 180 degree turn back to having confidence again and just being so proud of what I had accomplished. And it made me wonder after I had that birth, um, how many other women experienced something similar or, or had been treated badly or, you know, maybe didn't even realize at the time, like I did, that they were treated badly. Because like I said, there are a lot of people who have uh, stories about obstetric violence where they've actually physically been assaulted where they've been um, harassed or screamed at or berated or held down or all these horrible things that it's very obvious that something bad was done to you for me everyone was nice no one ever I mean they pressured me but slowly uh, it wasn't all at once no one ever physically did anything to me that I didn't agree to it was they were just doing their jobs. They were doing their jobs in a system that thinks it's helping by constantly intervening in a process that didn't need intervening. And because they kept intervening, one thing led to another. And for no good reason, I had surgery that led to the rest of those outcomes I talked about. And so how many women had experiences like that or worse? And so I started a Facebook group and invited all the females I knew that group still exists. I do not manage it and I do not post on it anymore because now I'm too busy on Instagram. <laughs> but I can only do so many things. But the group was called the Autonomous Birth Project. And it basically was before I stopped posting on it, there were about 600 people. So it wasn't a ton of people, but it was a decent amount. And it was enough to ask questions. So I asked a lot of questions. I did a lot of polls to find out what people's uh, experiences had been or what their opinions were on different things. And I listened to a lot of birth stories, some that no one had ever told, but this person, people that had never told their story to anybody and horrifying stories too, which were like, they've been living with this inside of them and not share it with anyone. So that group, it really taught me that the, the problem was a lot bigger than I had realized. And I wanted to branch out from that group of 600 because I knew, you know, this is a private group. It was good for learning about the people that were in that group and getting a basic idea of what was going on. But if I wanted to help a greater population of people, I needed to be able to have a wider reach. And so I stopped posting on there and I started an Instagram account uh, maybe two years ago. And my Instagram account is called Birth Uprising. And I basically on there, I talk about a lot of birth topics. And I ask a lot of questions um, because that's, that's how I like best to help teach people is to, not for me to tell you something most of the time, it's for me to ask you a question and get you to think about it for yourself. Because the answers are going to be different for everybody, what's best for them. But if they know something is an option that they weren't given the information for in say their, their regular OB appointments, or they know that something doesn't have to happen, that they were told is uh, mandatory, which nothing is mandatory, that, that gives them choices that they didn't know that they had. And so that's the real point of my account is that you have choices that people aren't telling you about and you should be the one in charge and no one should be telling you what's what it's, you should be given the information, which you never are, but then I'll give it to you. <laughs> and so you'll have that and you'll have some places you can go to find more information. And then when you go talk to your provider, you can say, I don't want to do the group B strep tests and here's why. And I'm not talking about it again instead of if that's what you choose, or I'd like to do an alternative, or I'd like to do, you know, I'd like to test myself for that particular test or whatever it is. 
And I feel like that gives the responsibility back to the woman instead of, I mean, we hear so much like, oh, we just blindly follow what our providers say, but really you shouldn't blindly follow what anybody says, even if it is that like alternative view and someone telling you like, oh, don't do this test. Don't do that test. Like you have to make that decision for yourself and really understand like why or why not you would want to or not do whatever it is in pregnancy. Because if you don't have those reasons and understand them for yourself, then it's, it's one, it's a lot harder to convince, I'm going to use air quotes for convince your provider to let you do something different than what they're used to doing. But I also feel like in the end, it doesn't give you the best, what am I trying to say? The best, like, not autonomy, but um, the best understanding of like what your body can do or why yeah. or why not you would want to do certain things. That that was kind of like a circle I just talked in, but I mean, I like ultimately I'm just trying to say, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to say like, you have to take responsibility for that and really look into things yourself and not just blindly follow anybody right. regardless of who they are. Oh, I totally agree. And that's my, that's my philosophy with my whole life. So maternity care is just, obviously it would be the same way. I feel like Everyone's not going to choose the same things for them for themselves that your neighbor might choose, whether it's maternity care or who redoes your driveway or what school your kids go to or whatever. You need to do the research yourself. And that could mean, you know, for maternity care, talking to your provider. Uh, It could mean doing some research, reading actual published articles, if you want to do that. It could be asking friends and family what their experiences were. It could be just searching stuff on the internet and taking all of that information and then deciding what you feel is best for you. Mm -hmm. And so my account is just one piece of that. But I think through my account, I, I let people know that there's a little more to some of this than they think. And I think it's really funny speaking of how I, you know, this is kind of my life philosophy that when it comes to maternity care, people will just say, oh, I just listened to the guy in the white coat. But if it's anything else, you would never do that. You'd be like, I'm an independent woman. (laughs) I make my own choices. And then you walk into that room and you're like, yes, yes. Whenever you say I will do that, I'll be back at 28 weeks and I'll drink that orange drink. I don't need to know what's in it, you know, but if it were buying a car, you'd be like, hold on. And, you know, I'm going to ask more questions about this before I commit to this decision that's going to affect me for a long time. For some reason, we just, I, well, for lots of reasons, I'm sure. And one of them is the guilt that they put on you when you're pregnant, that if you're not, you don't know the things I know, because I'm wearing a white coat and I have a stethoscope that I'm not going to use during this appointment, but I'm going to wear it to make you, <laughs> make you think I know something. And so... I know stuff. You don't know stuff. You have a baby in there. You don't know what's going on in there. You can't see it. I'm going to be the one that's going to tell you whether it's safe. And if you don't listen to what I say, you are a negligent mother. Mm-hmm. And how dare you put your baby at risk because I am the authority, not you. I'm As if women to- aren't in tune with their bodies or don't understand or aren't competent enough to have an understanding of pregnancy and birth and what their bodies are doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so many people just doubt themselves because. And that's how I was. I remember in my, my first pregnancy with my first son, I'd go in for an appointment. You know, you go in for an appointment in the beginning in your first trimester, maybe. And you don't go back again for like another four weeks or so because there's nothing for them to do. And I just remember going home being like, what do I do now? I have four weeks until my next appointment. They're not doing anything. How, how come I don't have an appointment for another four weeks? And that's because no one can do anything. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. But I think so many, so many people like to control their lives and they're, they're used to that. And then this is a situation where they feel like they're out of control because they don't know anything and they don't see what's going on in there. And they feel like the person in the white coat has a crystal ball and they can predict and they can see, and they're, I'm just going to let them do the deciding because obviously they, they know more than I do. And that's what I did with my first, I, I literally said, they kept asking me if I wanted a C-section. And eventually I said, if you think 
that this is this is not working. Basically, this is not going to happen the way that I wanted. You see this more than I do. Obviously, I've never done this before. So I'm going to trust you. And they were like, all right, let's just wheel her down. <laughs> just brought, brought me down mm-hmm. and, and did a surgery that they didn't have to do. You know, it made me feel like it just didn't work out. It wasn't going to work out. And that maybe my body would never do that. And then when I went to my second, my second birth, um, when I was at the OB's office, the very beginning, I said, I uh, do not want another surgery. And the, the nurse practitioner I saw said, well, the, you know, the doctor might want to schedule a C-section if they feel like, you know, the baby's too big or something like that. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I won't be coming back here. <laughs> mm-hmm, this will be my last appointment with you. And then I went back with that doctor, but it, you'd be surprised when you, when you do have the confidence because you do know what you want you and you make yourself the authority in the room which is what you should be because it's your body and your baby and your birth it shouldn't be someone telling you what you're going to do they're a consultant you go in and have your appointment and they should say this is what we do standard on the next visit and here are some alternatives you can also decline and um, here's the reasons why we like to do that and you know you just you just let us know what you want to do not this is what we're doing but if you had that information and you were the authority in the room and said, you know, I don't want to do that next time and you were respected, it's a whole different world. But I, with that particular doctor, I asserted myself and said, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. And because they never see that, she as, she as a person kind of cowered back a little bit and felt, I think she was like, oh, this, this person's asking me things that I don't know the answers to. And so it made her, I think, a little bit uncomfortable because she's used to just doing the same thing at every appointment. Right. Um, There's not a lot of people that go in having all of that information beforehand or even knowing like what you mentioned about at the next appointment, this is what we're going to do. I feel like that is never said. No. There's never any advance on what's going to happen next. It's just you come into the appointment and you're told, okay, this is what we're doing today with no advance warning. So you don't even have time to go home and look things up or research alternatives if you don't know what the next step is right yeah it's uh it's kind of it blindsides you sometimes i mean if you're lucky they'll tell you the visit before that the next time you're doing the gestational diabetes screen for example you know when to show up because it's different but they never give you any advance notice on there are alternatives or this is why we do the test or this is what other countries do, but here in the US we do this, or you you can decline and what that means or why we're even worried about it. There's generally none of that, yes. These are the things that that I learned along the way that have really sculpted my approach on Instagram and what I'm making behind the scenes to allow people to learn even more outside of Instagram. Um, I've, I have some PDFs on some birth topics, but the stuff we're talking about right now, basically what's, what's going to happen at each appointment? What do they want to uh, do with these appointments test wise? Um, What are the alternatives to those tests? What, what if I do nothing? Uh, I'm putting together, which is taking me a very long time because I have three kids and I'm trying to do too many things a workbook for that. So basically it'll be what to expect in that appointment. What are, and I don't give you the information. I get the, I give you the questions. Why do we have this test? What will the test show? What would I do with that information? How would it change the course of my pregnancy? So these are questions like for women to ask their providers at those appointments, you mean? So they're for the providers for asking your provider, but also to ask the internet, to ask your friends, to ask your, do it with your partner, to ask wh- whoever you want to compile all of the information to help you make what you feel is the best decision. And then you can discuss it with your provider if you want to do it without them, or you can include them when you ask, you can ask them these questions, but it shows you that there isn't just one choice and it gives you the questions to ask. I find that that's one of the things a lot of women don't know is they don't know the questions to ask. They don't even know 
like you said, what's what's going to be expected at the next appointment? Never mind. What would I even ask about that test, whatever it is, so that I know if it's right for me? Right. They have no. They just have no idea. And there's a lot to know, uh, truthfully. So if you know the right questions to ask, then you can find the answers through whatever means is right for you. And you can write it all down and make a plan of what you want, what you don't want. Um, so I'm putting that together because I feel like it's really important that no one knows, no one knows what to ask and no one's going to tell you. So this way, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm giving you the right questions and I'm giving you the setup for what, what to expect going through your pregnancy and what you're going to have to make choices on so that you can feel really clear in what you're choosing and feel really confident in those choices. Um, but I'm excited to make that because I feel like it'll really help people. Um, yeah, I definitely think so too. That sounds like a great resource. And I'll definitely, just talking about your Instagram page and everything, I'll definitely link to that once I air the podcast and everything, because then that way anyone who's listening who wants to check that out, if they're not already following you, which they should be because the account is wonderful, <laughs> um, yeah. then they can they can reference that and and get some more mm -hmm. information. But I'm curious if we can back up just a tish before we jump into your next pregnancy and birth. I have mm -hmm. two questions for you. Um, so the first one, knowing that you were planning to birth unassisted and you had kind of talked about like you were doing your research on things that you needed to be aware of or just different things that can come up during birth. Were there any resources in particular that you remember using that were really beneficial for you when you were looking into all of that? So I really used two. The first, so the first thing I did was I went on the interwebs and I searched, do women give birth alone? And to find out what, if that was even a thing and what it was called and all of that. And at the time, um, the Free Birth Society had a Facebook group and that has since been closed. But at the time it was women from all over who were gathering information or had had free births, sharing their stories, asking questions. Um, and that was super helpful for me. And I met a couple of good friends through there and uh, they also had a podcast and they still do. And just listening to other women's stories, very similar to mine, who had just decided this was not the way to go, going to the hospital again, and why they, they decided that, and just listening to what they had been through, it really made me secure in my choice that I, that was me too, and it was, um, and that it completely changed my world like it had for these women. And then I basically did my own research. I tried to decide through, through listening to those stories and through that Facebook group mostly, I kind of compiled a list of things that I, I thought I should be in the know about. What, like when someone says, what if something goes wrong? All right, what are the some things? Is it hemorrhage? Is it the baby's not breathing? Is it the cords around the neck? Is it whatever? Made a list of those things and then looked those things up, both just general searches, but also research on those things to see uh, how common were they actually? You know, like everybody worries about uterine rupture. Uh, if you're, you've had a C-section and then you're at home, how, how common is that really? And then even if that happens, how frequently is it like a dire emergency or did it just, you know, it wasn't actually completely torn or, cause there's variations of it. So I learned about each of those things through reading research papers. I looked into each the real numbers on each of those things to make myself fully aware of what the risks truly were. Because a lot of times, you know, they'll scare you into it. You say you want a VBAC even at the hospital and they'll scare you about the uterine rupture risk when it's really less than 1%. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if, if you've done any research on this because I'm interested in this, but like I said, I'm doing too many things and I always forget to look into that, the particular study that that came from that shows there's uh, a 0 0.4 to 0.7% risk of uterine rupture if you've had one C-section. How many of those labors were augmented? Right. How, many, how many of the women had Pitocin or some other kind of induction drug? 
because they usually don't tell you that. And that really, it doesn't say that, I don't think generally in the, in the uh, research studies I've read because they don't, they don't think it's a big deal, but it's, it's different and it raises your risk. So how many of those women were induced? How many of those women had some kind of other drug that could have contributed to that? And what other factors contributed to that? So anyway, that's where I got most of my information from. Was that one question? I don't remember. What you asked. <laughs> yes. Yes. My other question, is, <laughs> my other question is just, if you wouldn't mind, is there anything from like the end of pregnancy or your labor that kind of stands out or even just take us through labor a little bit leading up to birth? So it was very normal. I would say uh, it was just, you know, something that happened throughout my day. It wasn't like uh, this crazy emergency like you you see on television where we're, someone's wheeling you down the hallway and you're screaming uh, at the hospital or you're in this crazy car ride. Um, I realized I was in labor uh, about 9 a.m. on a Friday with my, my unassisted birth. And I had a two-year-old at the time. My oldest was two. And my husband had gone to work. And so we went to the grocery store and the pet store and I was having contractions and I just stopped and, you know, kind of breathe through it and then move on. And we still, we still did all our regular stuff. We got all our groceries. We uh, went to see some fish. And uh, then on the way out, I called my husband and I said, uh, I think I'm in labor. And he's like, should I come home? <laughs> and I was like, don't worry about it. It's going to be a while. And so he, he came, he went through his regular day, came home like six or seven or whatever. And I labored all night. I'd wake up and have a contraction like every 10 minutes or so. And at that time, our son, oldest son was in his own bed, but he would still wake up sometimes and come into the bed with us and not even thinking my husband, <laughs> he woke up, he grabs him and brings him in the bed with us. So he'll go back to sleep. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, we are a queen size bed. It's not that big. And with a lot of the contractions, I had to be moving into a different position, like getting on all fours or moaning a little bit. And now I have to try to, I was like moaning into a pillow so that I didn't wake up my son. So labored all night, but I was able to sleep between the contractions and then labored all morning. And then probably around two or so, uh, we had a friend who, uh, who took our oldest had a sleepover at their house, which was great because I hadn't even planned for that. I didn't know if I would want him there and I didn't want him there. <laughs> there was a period where it was really nice where in, the, in early labor, he was, we had our birth pool blown up and he was putting water on my arm and just being really sweet. And then it started to get more intense and I needed no one to be near me or touching me or making noise. I just wanted it to, everyone just leave me alone. And so I was glad that the friends said that they would take him um, because he had a fun sleepover and came back and yeah, he's got a new brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he just had this good time and look, look at the prize I got. And he came back, it was so funny. I'll tell you about the birth, but he came back and I was just sitting in the chair that I always sit in to nurse all of them and holding the baby. And he came back and he goes, oh, baby, so cute. So, so easy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, for you, because you went to a friend's house. This was not easy. But right. You missed the, the hard part. <laughs> the hard part was you were sleeping during that time, I'm sure. It was, it was very hard. Uh, but it, I was also glad that I was not in a hospital because both of my home births, I said to myself, this is the point where if somebody were to offer me some kind of drug, <laughs> I might, I know I don't want it, but I might second guess myself. And that's where you get, uh, you know, into a slippery slope of what happens next. A lot of times, I think if you don't have the option for that, you just have to keep going and eventually it will end. And I kept hearing to myself during that labor, the only way out is through, which is a Robert Frost quote, which I don't know where it came from. It just popped into my head, but it really helped me because I thought to myself, it's true. Uh, what I have to do, I just have to take it one contraction at a time. I, I will get through it. It's hard right now, but it will end. <laughs> and so I just kept going and uh, got into the birth pool 
I was in and out of the birth pool. And then around, he was born at exactly 11 o'clock PM. So I was in labor for a really long time, like a day and a half. And I had fetal ejection reflex. So he just blew right out into the water and held him in the water for a little bit, birthed the placenta. It took a little bit of time. And then I actually, I shouldn't have done this, but I was like, oh, I'm just going to go upstairs and take a shower because I, I don't know how much blood I lose. It's not too much from now having a, a birth with a uh, midwives there, but I do get a little bit lightheaded afterwards. So this, my third birth, I made sure I just waited to take a shower. It wasn't that important, but I was in the pool, you know, and it was my first birth in a pool and, you know, stuff gets in there and then you're sitting in it. I just felt like I wanted to get cleaned up. So I went upstairs in a shower, came down, fed the baby, but I did get lightheaded in the shower. So that was, I, I knew what to do, but it was not maybe the best choice in hindsight. Um, came downstairs, ate some food, snuggled my baby and was in my own house. And it was great. And then the next day the brother came home and, you know, then the whole family was back together. And I just felt like I was on top of the world. I had just like conquered this mountain that they told me I couldn't. Like I had shown everybody, except no one was there. <laughs> but I had proved to myself that I could have done it all along. And so the only, the reason that I chose midwives for the third um, was because I really, I wanted two reasons. I wanted to see the difference between all the prenatal care and postpartum care that uh, home birth midwives offer. Contrast that with OB care. And also, I didn't want anyone touching me or near me during the birth, same, same as the last. But I did want someone to be there for the aftercare. So I didn't have to, one of the things I didn't like was I felt like I had to think too much. Because I was not only giving birth, but also was kind of the care provider in a way. Um, just making sure that the, the baby was fine, I was fine, and to kind of watch out for all of those things. I didn't want to have to think about all that again. And also the cleanup. <laughs> There's a lot of cleanup that my husband was responsible for because I couldn't do it. You know, I had to sit, take care of the baby. Um, so those were the reasons that I chose to have that for my third. And it was a great choice because I found really great midwives who knew from the start what I wanted. And our appointments were awesome. They were 45 minutes to an hour. We talked about all kinds of things, got to really know them uh, as opposed to just stepping on a scale and then telling me I had gotten too fat, my blood pressure is too high and you peed on the stick and it looks bad. <laughs> we actually got to know each other and they were my care providers every time. And then those people were the same people that were at my birth, which what a monumental idea. Uh, so ha ha getting to know them, you know, it allows you to relax and you're in your own home and you're in your own space. And they did, they were very hands-off. They would come check on me occasionally, ask me if I wanted to change positions once in a while, check the baby's heartbeat, but that was it. And then, uh, after the birth, they were there to just, you know, check on the baby a little bit, help me to get changed, get out of the pool, dried up, get, get changed, set me up on the couch, maybe some food, cleaned up all the mess. It was amazing. And then they came back. And then also to contrast the postpartum care, like I said, where like with my first, they were like, all right, we cut you open and took this baby out. See you in six weeks. Bye. Right. Don't, don't help you with anything. And you're like, what do I do now? With home birth midwifery care, they come back at one day, you know, two days, three days, a week, two weeks, six weeks. You get like six different postpartum visits and they make sure that you're doing okay baby's doing okay breastfeeding's going okay your bleeding is okay if you had stitches that's okay all the things are okay um, and you can contact them in the interim between those appointments which you can't do like you could never get your doctor on the phone it's very difficult and, and everything's so in your own home too you're not having to load baby and toddlers if you have other kids up into the car and go travel to see someone the midwives are coming to your house to do the postpartum care right which is a crazy thing to think about like i'm still bleeding i just had a baby like two days ago and you want me to come to your office right now mm -hmm. <laughs> like, 
how about now? How about you come to my, my house right now? Well, and now too, they don't let you bring, I've heard of a lot of women need to go to their prenatal appointments or postpartum appointments and they have other kids and they don't have anyone to care for them, but they can't bring them to their appointments. Right. Don't let anybody else in the room. So like, how would you even manage that? I would just not go. <laughs> and I, I think do. a lot of women are not going. I yeah. mean, and in some instances, like, is it really necessary to go into those appointments? But if there is a concern or they do need the support or help with something and they feel like they have to choose between not going or like trying to find childcare, paying for childcare, going way out of their way to do all of these things, whatever, to make it to the appointment, that is setting some women up for problems down the road mm -hmm. too, you know? Right. Yeah. So I was very thankful for that because now I did have two other kids and it was, I actually enjoyed seeing them. I enjoyed knowing that an appointment was coming up and they were going to come kind of hang out with me and check on me. And, you know, they seemed like they actually care and that mattered to me. So I'm really glad that I chose to do that, to see the difference, both for my own personal benefit, but also for the benefit of others. If anyone like I have had the gamut of experiences now, so I can, you know, give you, I mean, not advice, but uh, my perspective on what the difference is because I've experienced it personally. So I think that it was, it was important for me to make that choice to have them there. And I think if I did have another one, that's what I would do. I would hire them again because they were great. They were exactly what I needed. It was like I had an unassisted birth, but with someone else making me food. It obviously takes stress off of you. Like you were saying, then you don't have to be the one actively thinking about like, okay, what do I do if this happens? Or what do I do if this happens? But I'm sure that took some stress <laughs> off of your husband as well. Um, Cause I was going to ask what role did he kind of play in the unassisted birth? Was he up to date on like, if this happens, this is what I need to do or how did he handle that? And then how did he like it compared to when you had the midwives there? So he initially with the unassisted birth, he, he never tells me what to do because he knows that that would be a bad idea. So he's, he wasn't, I know some, some women have their partner who's like, no, what well, not agreeing to a home birth. Right. And they say, oh, my, my partner, you know, doesn't want it. They won't let me or whatever the, whatever they, the terminology is that they use. And my, my husband was never like that. He just, he needed more information because he kind of got wide-eyed. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Cause he, he was there for the first one too. And he, he was afraid. He was nervous um, because he's never seen me in that kind of position. He knows that I'm in pain uh, and he knows that he knows nothing. <laughs> so he was, he was really nervous and he's probably just was initially remembering how he felt with the first and now thinking, oh, Jesus, now I'm going to be all alone, you know, with her, with her, I'm the only one there. And so he just needed more information. So I got him to listen to some of those podcasts. I gave him some information and he was on board and he, I definitely knew more than he did. So I feel like I was really the responsible party. He would have just kind of been my assistant um, if I needed something, but he, as far as I know, I mean, he didn't ever tell me he, he, he liked it. He had, he thought it was a good experience. Um, he basically during that birth was, you know, occasionally same thing, asking me if I needed anything. Um, he got a lot of laundry done. <laughs> he, the house was really clean. And I was like, no, you just, once I asked him to make me a grilled cheese sandwich and I ate a little bit, but that was, that was about it. He really he was very hands-off because he knew I wanted him to be. And he just kind of let me do my thing. And I think, I think he probably liked the, the birth with the midwives more because of what you said, because it took some of the responsibility off of him. And it also, you know, the cleanup and anything he was probably worried about, he didn't have to worry about those things. So I think he would have, I didn't, I actually didn't ask him which he preferred, but I think from, from the way he, acted and from what um, he was kind of responsible for. I think it was probably nice for him to not have to think about that stuff too. Sure. That makes total sense. And yeah, I hear a lot kind of what you were saying about, well, my husband doesn't want that or he won't let me. And I just think it's great that you 
that he was open to learning about things and that you presented him with the information and just kind of said, well, this is what I'm doing. And (laughs) I I mean, I feel like that's the way that it should be because you're the one who has to give birth to the baby. You're the one whose body needs to feel safe and confident in your decisions. And I, I don't want to dismiss, like, I think the partner's feelings are valid, but ultimately, like I said, you're the one who has to feel safe and comfortable with the decisions. So I think that that's the best case scenario is just presenting that information and saying, well, you better get on board because (laughs) this is the decision that we're making and this is what we're doing. So, right. Well, and I, and I totally agree. That's how I feel too. If you have a partner who uh, trusts you, why would they not, why would they think that you would make anything but the best possible choice for you and your family? Right. Why would they think that? Why would they think that you're being negligent by making this, whatever the choice is, if they trust you, they should say, I don't understand. It's making me nervous. I don't understand why you want this. Please explain it to me. Please teach me because I want to be on the same page as you. Right. Not, I'm not allowing this. You know, also my husband knows that I don't like people telling me what to do. So <laughs> he, and, and I think a lot of people don't like to be right. told what to do. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm, he's a really good partner and I'm lucky that um, it was, there was no convincing necessary. It was just more, more information was needed and he was totally on board. And I think he's proud too of, of what we've accomplished. Like when he tells people are the stories, you know, because they're not common stories and it makes me seem really, really cool. <laughs> it is really cool. Because <laughs> I feel cool because it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of work and it's a, a lot of information to learn to put yourself in the position where you feel like that's the best choice. It's not a common choice. And and I'm proud of it. Will you take us through that labor and birth a little bit? The third one? Yeah. Sure. So that one was, it was long, similar to my second, but it wasn't quite as long. It was maybe like a day as opposed to a day and a half. So I went into labor at the kitchen table, feeding our kids before my my husband got home on a Friday. Again, both of the, both of my, my second and third son were very, very mindful of the fact that other people have to work during the week (laughs) and they were born on a Saturday so that our friends could take the other ones overnight. (laughs) So, um, that was, that was nice of them. So I went into labor around six o'clock on a, on Friday and my third son was born at 515 on Saturday. So labor was slow. I labored all night again, like the second time. And probably around six o'clock in the morning, I was like, I gotta get up. I can't stay in this bed anymore. And things started getting more intense. So we called the midwives and they got ready and came over and they got over around nine. And I was sure he was going to be born by like 11, how I was feeling. And he wasn't born until 5.15. <laughs> so I was in the pool for a really long time thinking I should just stay here because it feels like he's going to come. And I was in there so long. My hands were all white. And like, I, I'm a really light skinned person anyway, but they were white. Like I'd been a dead person in a river kind of white. Like you see on, you know, some crime show, uh, all wrinkly and just because I'd been in there for hours. And they suggested I get out and I felt like I had to stay in. And eventually what did help move my labor along was getting out. And so I did get out, which I hated, but I got out, moved around, was standing, was hanging over my husband's neck, um, was laying on the couch on my side, was trying different positions. And with both of those births, there was a point where, with my second, there was a point where I said, I just don't wanna do this anymore. You know, I was just like so tired of it. And that light bulb went off again. And I thought, oh yeah, I'm almost done. This is what everybody says is there's a point where you're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Or you start crying or you're, you know, you're just tired of it. Um, or I think I can't do it. And so that let, let me know, okay, I don't have that much further to go. I can do this. But the third time I didn't recognize it for some reason, <laughs> I was very close. I was so tired of it. I just wanted it to be done. And once I got out of the, out of the pool and I was moving around a bit and we talked about, I did get one cervical check 
at that stage because I was like, I got to do something. I can't keep doing this. And we talked about breaking my water because my water hadn't broken. And I decided not to. Then decided to get back in the pool. And right after I got back in the pool, I just, I'm a very loud birther, like screaming, very, not screaming, but like, you know, like guttural loudness. And I started getting like that and had fetal ejection reflex again. And in three contractions, the baby was out. And I have a video, like not great quality video, because I wasn't sure if I wanted a photographer, even though I would like the photos, because I just didn't know if I wanted someone else in my space. So it's a not the best quality video, but I rewatched it the other day, actually. And he just came somersaulting out of there, <laughs> just right into the water, like a little torpedo. And I was just so thankful that it was, that it was done, but it all went well. There were no issues with, with any, my, me or with him. Um, and then I got to, like I said, they prepared my couch and got all the plastic down and the towels and the sheets and everything so that I didn't ruin my couch and I could snuggle my baby and learn to feed him again. And yeah, it was a really good, it was a really hard experience, but it was really good. How was that postpartum time after your third birth with the postpartum care that you had from your midwives compared to the first home birth that you had when you didn't have the midwives for postpartum care? Oh man, it was so much better. So this time, so I, we have no family around here. And so we basically do everything on our own. And so I was smart this time and I really prepared for this situation. And I knew I had two older kids that were going to need my help. I actually, after my second, I had a pelvic organ prolapse and that has mostly, I mean, it's still kind of there, but mostly resolved. But this time I wanted to make sure that I was allowing myself the time to heal that I needed and that I wasn't getting up and chasing people and wrangling toddlers. So I hired a babysitter to help when my husband was at work uh, with the older two. And I hired a postpartum doula for the first, a couple, she came a couple times a week for the first three weeks uh, just to help out as well, to help out with food or dishes or laundry, or she gave me like a foot massage, <laughs> which was great. Um, and she was just a really lovely person. So it was really nice to have her there. So I really set myself up to not have to do too many things and to just be able to bond with the baby, feed him care for him, rest and heal. And it was great. It really could not have been better, I don't think. But I think that's what, I mean, all of those things were what I was missing. You know, I don't have family that was going to help me. So I was all alone. My husband had to go right back to work. I mean, he did have to go right back to work after this too. But like I said, these babies, these last two were very uh, mindful of when they would, they came. So they both came on a Saturday so my husband had uh, Sunday, took Monday off, has Tuesdays, doesn't uh, go to the office on Tuesdays. So we had three days and then he went back to work on Wednesday because of how it fell during the week. It was very convenient. Thank you, babies. But yeah, there's like, there's just no comparison. It was horrible. The first time was horrible. There were so many things they didn't tell me. I had night sweats. I thought I had cancer because I was like, this is what, this is why people have night sweats because I'm dying because of all the fluids that they had given me and my hormones changing and just the complete lack of sleep and not being able to put the baby down long enough to feed myself and just breast engorgement and, you know, all the things that I had never gone through that I will say, I didn't go through with the other ones, but because of the way my birth happened, things were very different. And that plus no support at all. It was just a really bad combination. So making sure that I was ready for this one. It, it made all the difference. It was great. I haven't had a lot of women say that they hired a postpartum doula. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think that's such an underutilized resource. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much time preparing for birth that sometimes we forget to prepare for the postpartum time when right. really, I mean, obviously birth is important and obviously your birth flows into that postpartum time and can affect that time. But birth is a couple of days at most, right. usually. 
And postpartum lasts a lot longer than that. And so I think it's just equally as important to prepare for postpartum also, especially if you have other kids so that you can take that time to focus on baby. Right. Yeah. It's, it it made all the difference. And that's another thing I was talking about the, the workbook that I was going to make. I want to make three. And one of them is one's for pregnancy and all the tests, one's for birth and what choices you want to make. And one's going to be for postpartum because I totally agree. You spend all this time preparing for that one day and it is super important to prepare for that day. But then what? Then what happens? Because if you don't have a plan for when you go home or if you stay home, you know, what happens next? You really could have a really bad time. You know, if it, you can't do everything. You really just can't. In reality, you can't. You might have a baby that wants to be on you constantly, like my first one did, or cries all the time. It doesn't sleep at all, like my first one did. And if you don't have anyone to help you with making you food or doing your laundry or watching the baby for 10 minutes so you can take a shower, it really sets you up to just be completely exhausted. And you can't be a great parent when you're completely exhausted and haven't eaten and aren't supported in any way. And I think maybe for your first time, you don't realize what it's going to be like and how much work it's going to be and how exhausting it's going to be. So I think a lot of people don't prepare for it, especially their first time, but more people get wise after that first time, but I think you're right. They still don't, a lot of people don't even know what a doula is and they don't, if they do, they think it's just for a birth and not for postpartum. And I didn't feel like I needed anyone for my birth, but I knew I would need the help postpartum to make sure that the things were getting done. And that also my husband wasn't responsible for everything again, because everything I can't do now he's responsible for his responsibilities. Plus everything I would normally be responsible for if I didn't find help for the other kids and for myself. So I wanted to make sure that he didn't feel overwhelmed as well. And it really just helped everybody. My last question is just for any women who have either, maybe they just had a C-section and they're trying to decide what their options are, look into different things for future pregnancies, or maybe they're currently pregnant and trying to decide if they want to go back to the hospital or if they want to have a home birth. Is there any advice or anything that you learned along the way from your journey that you would want to share or want them to know? Oh, so many things. Um, Well, if you want it to be different next time, you have to approach it differently. Uh, Don't go back to that same place that puts you in the position that you were in. If it it was necessary, that's a different story. Some, Some women, they're... C-sections were necessary, but it's the vast majority were not. So if you're somebody who, let's just talk about that group, because that's most people. If you're somebody who, like me, had a C-section that wasn't necessary, you need to do things different the next time to make sure the same thing doesn't happen, because now you're already at a disadvantage. Now you've already had one surgery. And so to the people at a hospital, that's what they want to do now. They generally would rather do another surgery because they feel that they're more in control than uh, let you attempt, which is in air quotes, uh, um, a vaginal birth because they, they have their protocols and they have the way they do things at hospitals. And sometimes they don't even allow, also in air quotes, uh, that sort of thing. So you really have to do your research and decide first off, if that's what you want, if that's what you really want, what is the best place for you to achieve that? If there may be a hospital who, near you who does support that, there may be a certain doctor who does support that, or maybe it's maybe it is a birth center, or maybe it's home. You have to decide which which place is going to help you achieve that goal, and where do you feel the safest, and go from there. Because if you the location is the biggest determining factor in how your birth will go. Uh, There are hugely different outcomes in a hospital versus home with all the things. And you need to decide what what place makes you feel safest. um, And that's where you should be. I think I would never go to a hospital again (laughs) after my experiences unless I really, really, really had to. I think most people 
who have had both a hospital birth, even if it wasn't a C-section and a home birth, I've never had someone say to me, after both of those experiences, I will have hospital births forever. Right. Everyone, everyone has said to me, I will never go back to a hospital unless I'm actually dying. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard the same thing. Yeah. That, that now that I can compare the two, there's no way that I would choose that, but you wouldn't know that if you've never experienced both, but that would be my number one thing that I would do if it was, if it was me is if that's what you want, be really choosy what the location is, because that can determine so many things. Even if the people are really nice, if they work in a hospital and they've never been taught anything about what you're capable of, and they've never been taught about physiological birth, which they probably have not, because that's not generally part of their training, unless they do that on their own. Uh, they just want to intervene and they, not every hospital is like that, but you have to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into as far as what that hospital generally provides and who, who your pro- personal providers are and what, what their preferences are. Because some hospitals even have a flat out VBAC ban. They won't even entertain the issue. And if that's what you want, that's not the place for you. Right. Well, thank you for being willing to share everything. And like I said, I, I will definitely link everything to your Instagram account. Will you tell us one more time what that is? Yes, it is Birth Uprising. Awesome. On the Instagram. On the Instagram. On the Instagram. That's also my uh, website if anyone wants to go hang out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.